the first Sunday, Joyce snuck that song in on me. I'd never heard it either, uh, Mark. The first Sunday, Joyce snuck that song in on me. She snuck in a new favorite Christmas song. Uh, that that's that's just kind of where that ranks for me now because it does something very well that if we're not careful, we can we can miss. Uh, we can miss that uh, we can miss that Christmas is about the cross. Christmas is about the cross. That there is a truth that lives inside Christmas. That is, Jesus was always intended to come to die. He was always intended to come to die. And if we don't look out, we will just flat miss that. We'll think about the manger. We'll think about uh, the, 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 the shepherds. We'll think about... The wise men will think about the virgin birth and all that's important. But all of this happened to fulfill a promise that was made long, 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 long ago to a man named Abram. We know him as Abraham. Now if you look in your if you look in your Bulletin, uh, you will see that I supposedly titled this sermon, uh, you know, the, the father leads his, his son up the mountain. And it's supposed to be Genesis 22. But we had to get these bulletins printed Tuesday. And I spent the week thinking about this. And thought, you know, all week long, I was like, man... I want to preach Genesis 22 so bad because I believe in my heart of hearts that the story of Abraham and Isaac is really a Christmas story. It's the, the, Isaac is the original miracle baby. He's the original promised child through whom the promises of God would come. I wanted to preach Genesis 22 so bad, but the more I thought about it, I was outlining this in my head even during the day when we were gone, and I sat down to finally type it up, and I'm just staring at it saying, there is too much on this page to tell the story of the original miracle baby in one week. So we're going to split it into two. And this week you're going to get the miracle baby part one. And next week, you're going to get the original Miracle Baby Part 2. And we're going to go up the mountain next week. But today, we've got to talk about the reason behind all of this. Because way, 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 way back in Genesis, God made a promise to a man named Abraham. And He said, in your seed, we're going to read this verse next week, in your seed, singular, all the families of the earth will be blessed. But we've got to get there. We've got to get why Abram and God were even having this conversation. So today we're going to tell that story. 
And what I want to do, since we're actually going to tell a story this week, it's going to be a little bit different than some of my normal sermons. I just want us to start out by reading, even though we're going to cover more Scripture, I want us to start by reading Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. So if you'll stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. In my Sunday school class right now, I was like, are we doing this again? Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out from your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Father, I pray that you would help us to see as a family of faith that by trusting in what you've done for us through Jesus, we know that Father Abraham has many sons and that we can each be one of them if we will walk in the faith that he had. The faith that you were good for your word and that in his offspring, Jesus, all the families of the earth would be blessed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So the original miracle baby. We're going to cover a lot of ground this morning. So listen fast. Not really. Uh, I want us to talk a little bit about what's truly behind Christmas and what's truly behind the gospel and approach this from the perspective of look at a promise, the promise, that God made one of our spiritual forefathers that in Genesis 12 is really the starting point for the rest of the Bible. Everything else that happens beyond Genesis 12 goes back to this particular promise. A promise that God made a man named Abram that he was going to bless all the families of the earth through him and his descendants. But I want us to talk about why God did that. And I want us to see first that religion says we can do it. Religion says we can do it. I want you to go back to chapter 11. If you're in your Bible and you were in Genesis 12, you probably just got to turn back one chapter. Now, a couple of weeks ago, when we were in Revelation, we talked about Babylon. Y'all, y'all here for Babylon? Any of y'all here for Babylon? Yes. We talked about Babylon. We talked about it in its earliest form, the city of Babel. And in Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9, you, you read, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east, or journeyed toward the east, depending on your translation, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel 
because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the earth. The first 11 chapters of Genesis are one story told about six times. It is the story of God having a wonderful plan for humanity and humanity making a stupid decision that ruins it. That's Genesis 1-11 through in a nutshell. God makes a wonderful plan in Eden and He says, I want to be God with you and the snake comes in and plants an idea in our mind that, well, you might want to be God with us, but we want to be gods over you. So we eat from the tree, we choose what's right and wrong, and God says, that's not how this is going to work. And the first man and the first woman were cast out of Eden. And if you remember, uh, you see they're actually angelic creatures in Eden. God bars the door out of Eden with cherubim, with flaming swords. That Eden's kind of the place where heaven and earth met. That God came and walked with people and people walked with God. And angels are guarding the door. And this is kind of the intersection point between heaven and earth. That the rest of the Bible, when you look at the imagery, sets up Eden to have been on a mountain. It's a high point. It's where heaven meets earth. So if you're going to cast humans out, you cast them what direction? Not up. Down. So humanity has been cast down. The next good plan God has is when Cain's tempted, God goes to Cain and says, Cain, you're tempted To kill your brother. Your sin desires you. It desires to rule over you. But you must have mastery over it, Cain. My plan for you is that you not be mastered by sin. And Cain said, yeah, but my plan is to master my brother. And we get the first murder. So, Cain gets sent to the east. And from there, you get the flood... God's plan is to save humanity through Noah and start over a righteous humanity through him. But what's Noah's plan? Noah doesn't even know what his plan is because he ends up exactly where Adam and Eve did. He ended up naked and ashamed because some fruit got the best of him. First thing he did when he got off the ark was plant a vineyard and get drunk and end up naked and ashamed and disgraced. God's got a great plan. Noah makes a stupid choice. But God's already promised He's not going to destroy the world again, right? In the flood? I know I'm moving fast. So, you get some a little bit farther on down the line, and then you end up in the city called Babel. And this city... In chapter 11, these people say, you know what? We're going to build a city and we're going to make a name for ourselves and we're going to build a tower that reaches to the heavens. Now, why is that significant? Remember, Eden was where heaven met earth. That's where God was. That's when we were at our best. That's when we ruled the world. But we've been cast down and angels were guarding the door. And there was no way for us to get back into Eden. So humanity said, you know what? We'll make our way back another direction. 
We can't go back up top to Eden, so we'll build a tower. We've got this new technology called bricks. We'll build a city. We'll make our own rules, just like Adam and Eve did in the garden. We'll build a tower that reaches its top to the heavens. We're coming back, and God, you're not keeping us out. We're coming to heaven on our own. And God said, mm, nope. No, you're not. That doesn't work. That's not how this is going to shake out. God comes down and scatters them to the four winds. Now, He doesn't destroy them. Remember, He promised He was never going to destroy the world again. He scatters them. And that's the end of Babel as we know it. And if you look at chapter 11, right after Babel gets scattered, you get a weird genealogy. That genealogy is actually important. But what was the lesson we learned at Babel? Babel is the first instance of human religion. It's the earliest religious attempt recorded by humanity to build our way to heaven. To religiously establish ourselves as people who are entitled to heaven. That I worked hard. I tried hard. I gave a lot. I went on mission trips. I never missed a day in Sunday school. I never missed a day in church. I'm going to hang my hat on that when I stand in front of God and say, God, you've got no choice but to let me into heaven because look at what I built. And in God's mercy... He has scattered that and thwarted that every time we have tried that throughout world history. The best thing God could have done at Babel was exactly what He did. Scatter us out. When God says, now that they're united in this, nothing will be withheld from them, God's not saying if I don't stop them, they're going to actually build their way back into heaven. That's not what He's worried about. Based on what you know about humanity and how wicked we are, how bad do you think we could be if we were united in our purpose of rebellion against God? Pretty bad, huh? So God scatters them. But I want you to think. Think about every religion worldwide. Now, don't think of Christianity as a religion. I'm going to explain why. But think about every other religion worldwide. It has one thing in common. Do this, dot, 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 dot. Do this, dot, 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 dot. Do this, dot, 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 dot. Hinduism has ritual purification. Islam has the five pillars. Buddhism has the eightfold path. You know, they're, they're, these, they're checklists. Things you've got to mark off. Things you've got to do. Ways to build your way back to heaven. If you will just do these things, follow this 10-step plan, you will build your way back into heaven. Do you know how God feels about religion when you try and build your way back? Wait, pastor, are you telling me not to do good things? I'm telling you to examine your motive. For doing good things. <clears throat> you know, I had a, a professor in seminary one time. Most of my professors in seminary 
were also pastors or lay leaders in their churches. But one of them had been a pastor at one point, and there was a man who had been attending his church that he knew full well did not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the man had told him he didn't believe any of this. I mean, you can't really be much clearer than that, right? When somebody says, I just flat don't, I'm coming because my wife wants me to. It's his explanation. But one day, the church had something going on. They had an initiative or something that they were raising money for. And this guy writes a five-digit check. And the pastor comes to him afterward. I, I, they, I guess he didn't have the policy that we do. If you write a check, I don't know. But he found out about this, and he goes to him afterward. He says... If you don't believe any of this stuff, it seems really odd for you to write a check this size. And the guy said, well, I don't believe you. I don't believe anything you're saying. But we can afford to do it right now, and on the off chance you're right, I think it might be good to have an end with it. That was his reasoning. Apparently, you can purchase the cost of your soul with a five-digit check. Now imagine if you could do that, the father would have really loved to know that before he sent his son to die. This pastor took that man's check and gave it back to him and said, I don't want your money. Pastor, you could pay off this thing. You could at least make a dent in it. He said, yeah, but at the cost of you thinking that you can build your way into heaven. I'm not willing to confuse you so that we can benefit monetarily. If you're hanging your hat on how much you give, how much you, you show up, how many times you've gone, whether or not you sing the right songs or wear the right clothes or listen to the right preachers or, or anything you do, you're building a tower. You're building your own personal Babylon and you're trying to work your way back into heaven and God's going to do to your tower exactly what He did to theirs. He's going to scatter it and you're going to left wondering where it went wrong. You're going to be left wondering where it went wrong. It's not going to work out. Stop trying to build your way back to heaven. Here's how God feels about empty religion. Isaiah 1 verses 12 through 15. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They're a trouble to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. That God says, if your heart is not with me, then I don't care how much religious activity you engage in. I will plug my ear... Emily and I were watching videos of uh, the, the Bible Project last night deciding if we wanted to include one in our Sunday school lesson. And I learned an interesting tidbit. 
In Hebrew, there, is not, there are not separate words for listen and obey. That the word Shema contains both meanings. That if you listen, you will obey. If you do not obey, then you did not listen. There's not separate categories. Now us... English speakers, we have separate words. But sometimes teachers communicate this is as... You ever heard a teacher say, I know you heard me, but you didn't listen? You ever said that? Heard somebody say that? That's this concept. The audio may have passed through your ear canal to your eardrum and been interpreted by your brain, but it did not make such an impact on you that you changed your action because of it. You did not listen. God says, you're hearing me, but you're not listening to me. That you can sit under gospel preaching every day of your life, but if you try and religiously build your way back to heaven and you are ticking off your boxes and thinking you're putting a little bit in your bank account in heaven every time you're coming here listening to me, y'all, God is not concerned for your soul one bit. What I do, what you do, what anybody else does, God is concerned about what Jesus did. And if you miss what Jesus did, your tower is going to be knocked down just like Babel's was and you will not find your way back into heaven. It's just not going to happen. So religion says we can do it. Human religion in a nutshell is we can do it. If I try hard enough, I'm sure God will give me credit. You better not be sure of that because He won't. Religion in a nutshell says we can do it. But God says... You can't, but I can. Which brings us to chapter 12. You remember I told you of this really weird genealogy? If y'all are like me, I'm going to admit this, okay? I'm a pastor, but I'm also a person. Pastors are people. We are normal people. Which means when I'm reading my Bible and I get to 1 Chronicles, my eyes glaze over. Because it is generally so-and-so, son-of-so-and-so, 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 son-of-so-and-so. You get it? So if you're like me, when you get to a genealogy, you kind of are like, okay, is there a good reason that I can bypass this and not feel guilty? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Okay. You never get to do that again at the end of Genesis 11. I'm going to ruin your life a little bit today. Okay? This matters. Chapter 11, <clears throat> all the way down, let's pick up in, chapter, or in verse 24 of chapter 11. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Terah. After he begot Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Terah lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Terah. Terah begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. Haran died before his father Terah in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Do you know where Abram's homeland was? Babel. Where did you think Babel was? Chaldea is another name for Babylon. So Abram and his family are one of these families that have been scattered from the tower.
Abram and his family have seen the destruction that comes when you try and build your own way back. That this was where they came from. This was their heritage. The tower was their history. The city was their home. And then they got scattered out when all everybody else did. And they're wondering... And they settled down not far from this place where the tower was built. And then all of a sudden in chapter 12, God comes to Abram and says, I have a different idea. You've seen what happens when you try and do it. You want to try what happens when I do it for you? Abram, your forefathers tried to build a city and a tower to make a great name for themselves. Verse 2, I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. What you thought you could do yourself, I will do for you. You thought you were going to build a great nation, I'll turn you into a great nation. You thought the world would be blessed by y'all running it your way. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. That God says it doesn't work when you try and build yourself back to heaven. It doesn't work when you try and fix your relationship with me. But it will work when I do it. God says, you can't. But I can. Now, I want you to look at verse 1 of chapter 12. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country. Now, what struck me is hadn't he already done that? Didn't God scatter them from Babel? Haven't they already gotten out of this homeland? And yet, God tells him to get out of his country. Did God destroy Babel? No. He scattered it. Babel left Babel with the refugees. Babel is a mindset. Babel is a thought. How do I know that Babel never changed? Because you can look at its descendants everywhere. Look at every religion that tells you you can build your way back. Have you ever noticed religions tend to be tied with languages? Have you ever thought about that? That you can just about associate every major world religion with a language. Hinduism is tied to Hindi, right? That if you talk to any Islamic scholar, they will tell you there's one way to read the Quran that's in Arabic. The Hebrew Bible was tied to what language? Hebrew. (laughs) Pick pick a religion. It's generally got a language associated with it. Refugees of Babylon, man. All of them are the same though. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, end up there. Don't do this, 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 end up here. Babylon in a nutshell. So God says to Abram, I need you to get out of your country. Well, God, I'm already out. No, 
I don't just need you to get out of your country. I need you to get your country out of you. We got to do this differently, Abram. You can't build any more towers. You can't found any more cities. You got to follow me. Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Well, where is that? Hush, Abram. If I tell you where it is, then you'll take it upon yourself to get there. But you got to follow me because I'm the only one that knows how to get you there. God says, trust me, I can do it. Hebrews 11, 8 through 12 says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promises in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is... Who was the builder and maker of Babel? Us. Who is the builder and maker of the city that God wanted to bring Abraham to? God was. God says, Abram, you stop building a city. Let me build it. You stop building a name. Let me build it. You stop making a nation. Let me make a nation. You stop seeking your glory. Let me give you glory like you've never imagined. God's doing it. Not Abram. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude innumerable as the sand by which is the seashore. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. So let's all pray. Y'all, seriously, y'all let me sing that all by myself. <laughs> I've been looking forward to that all morning. I thought we were going to have a moment. And now I just feel silly. But that's okay. I forgive you all. I'm just mildly hurt. Um, but think about this. What is it that makes us... The, the whole New Testament says this. What is it that makes a descendant of Abraham? Is it your bloodline? No, it's your faith. You're a descendant of Abraham if you have faith like his. And Abraham's faith was, God, I have seen what happens when I try and do it myself. I've seen my father do it. I've seen my grandfather do it. I've seen his father do it. And it doesn't work. It's never worked. It didn't work with Adam and Eve. It didn't work with Cain. It didn't work with Noah. It didn't work at Babel. And it's not going to work now. If you want to do it yourself and you want to bring me with you, then thank you for your grace. I'll go with you where you want to go. That's Abraham's faith. Leave it behind and go with God where he tells you to. Josh, this is not a Christmas message. Yes, it is. God's plan in a nutshell, I will do it. Religion says we can do it. God's plan is you can't, but I can. And then finally, our choice. Flip over to Genesis 15. 
Now God's made Abram this great promise. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you a great nation. All the world's going to be blessed through you and through your family. And you're going to have descendants that number like the sand on the seashore. There's just one problem. Abraham was 75 the first time God spoke to him. Y'all ever known a 75-year-old woman to give birth? You ever seen that? Now, Sarah Watton's 75, but man, she was, she was getting on up there. Where is this baby? How is this promise going to come true? It doesn't make any sense. Physically, this cannot happen. God comes to Abram in chapter 15 and says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham, or Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram says, Lord God, what will you give me? <coughs> Seeing I go childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abram said, Look, you've given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. And Abraham laughed and walked off and said, I quit. This is dumb. No. It said he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Is that God said, Abram, I promise you, you trust me, I will give you offspring through which all of my promises to you will be fulfilled. But I'm going to do it in such a way that you can get no credit for this. Everyone is going to look at this child and say, God did this. All you've got to do is wait and trust. And Abram made the choice that he would believe that God would fulfill his promises through a coming miracle child. Now that child was Isaac. But can you think of another miracle baby that we waited on and waited on and waited on and waited on and waited on to the point that we wondered, is this ever going to happen? You've made all these grand promises and I just don't see them coming true. And then all of a sudden... Some shepherds get a message that there's a baby lying in a manger in the middle of nowhere outside Bethlehem. And they get there to find an angelic chorus singing. <laughs> and on top of that, this child wasn't just born of a woman past the age of childbearing. She was born of a virgin. Completely impossible by human reasoning. And yet, all of the promises of God 
rested on that baby. Abraham had some legitimate questions. Because, you know, honestly, Mary had some questions too. When Gabriel came to Mary and said, Hail, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. The angel told her that you are going to conceive and, and bear a son. And his name will be the Lord saves will be Yeshua. She said, how can this be? I've never known a man. And he said, you know, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And her answer simply was, let it be unto the Lord's servant as you have said. She believed. Child of Abraham believed. Abraham believed when God said the promises will come through this child. Mary believed when the angel said the promises will come through this child. What about you? Romans 4, 1 through 4 says, What shall we say? That Abraham our father has found according to the, uh, has found according to the flesh. If Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. That last verse. <clears throat> this is the choice that you get to make today. Do you believe that God has done enough for you in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that the promised child who has come is enough and that in Him all the promises are fulfilled and all you've got to do is follow Him? Follow Him and God will get you to the land and blessing He has promised if you will follow Jesus. Or do you believe that you've got to do things your way? Maybe improve on God's plan a little bit, change it a little bit, make some decisions, say, oh, well, I don't know. God said leave my family, but I'm pretty tight with Lot. He's not going to hurt anything. Let me bring Lot along. That's not a problem. Or, yeah, I know God put me in this land, but there's a famine here and they've got food in Egypt. It's not going to hurt anything if I go down to Egypt and lie about my wife being my sister and, you know... Every time Abraham tried to do things on his own, he screwed things up. It was when he sat down and said, I'm going to let God do it. I'm going to take him at his word and I'm going to believe that his promises are true. Today, Jesus has promised you that whosoever believes in him would have everlasting life. That you can inherit all of the promises of God today. You can become one of Abraham's descendants by faith today.